I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. My name is Daniel Soiki, and I'm curious about the Baltimore accent. Where did it come from? And what are the different parts of the city that have different types of accents? Dan, you are a, uh, a driver for a taxi service. I imagine you hear all kinds of varieties and permutations of this accent every day on the job. When certain people get in the car and start to speak, I can almost immediately tell how long they've been in Baltimore. Where are you from, by the way, Dan? What, I don't detect a Baltimore accent in you. I was raised in Northeast Baltimore, but my mother has a master's in education and proper pronunciation was very strong in my early education. So it was hidden. <laughs> Let me hear your best Baltimore accent. Can you do one? Where you going, hon? I'm from down here. Uh, we're going over there. Jeet yet? Wherever you got to go, we can get you there. I can get you there, hon. Dan, you have posed an excellent question. I'm looking forward to trying to figure this out for you. Perfect. Thank you. I'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more about why we talk the way we do. So we're going to start off our investigation this week with a little Baltimore Accent Language Lab. I've got two friends who have very kindly volunteered for this. They are both born and bred Baltimoreans. Test subject number one is white. My name's Tommy Simbazo. I was born and raised in uh, Lakeland, Baltimore. It's in between Westport and Cherry Hill. And subject number two is black. Easy Jackson. I grew up mostly in West Baltimore, but I've, I've lived all over the city. Do you think you have a Baltimore accent? I'm only aware when I, like, I get, if I get drunk or tired, I know it comes out more. When I talk to other people not from here, they say I do, but I don't, I don't, I usually don't hear. <laughs> when I met with Tommy and Easy, I brought a list of words with me, and I had them each read those words aloud. We're going to hear their voices and analyze their accents with two linguistic scholars. I'm Christine Mallinson. I'm a professor at UMBC. My name is Intia DeShields. I am assistant professor of English and language arts at Morgan State University. And here we go. We're going over to Baltimore. We're going over to Baltimore. If you take a bird's eye view, you're going to see different patterns between the black Baltimore community writ large and the white Baltimore community. Do you know how to carry a dog? Do you know how to carry a dog? The most common linguistic markers are the pronunciations of dog, carry, and Baltimore. Dog. Dog. Carry. Carry. Baltimore. Baltimore. So you can even hear it just in the way that the name of the city gets pronounced. Oh, all right. I'm already ready to go. All right. I'm already ready to go. The white Baltimore accent seems to be an extension of those who migrated to the city from West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and up from North Carolina and Virginia. Tuesday. Tuesday. Water. Water. Already. Already. The Black Baltimore accent, however, doesn't seem to be connected to a particular geographical influence. And historically, as we know, there was a lot of residential segregation that kept Black folks and white folks very separate societally. There was different educational spheres. There were different workplaces. And so those types of societal level factors can help differentiate language. At one point, Baltimore had more free Black people than any other place in the country. This is Dee Watkins. He's a best-selling author, editor-at-large for Salon, and a Baltimore native. When the industry of slavery was, was failing to the southern part of Maryland, a lot of those, those, those slave owners were leasing 
their slaves to to Baltimore. And a lot of them people came to Baltimore and they was able to find work and um, buy their freedom, buy the freedom of their family members and things like that. So, you know, we had this huge free black population, this history of people who were extremely progressive and, and, and networking and mixing and mingling. So it, I, it had to be a combination of people coming from the South and people coming from the North to get a piece of the action that was happening in this city. Uh, America's first boom town, first city to reach a population of a million people after New York. From that origin, Professor DeShield says the city's black neighborhoods have been segregated and isolated by decades of housing discrimination and systemic racism into what's come to be known as the geographical area called the Black Butterfly. That Black Butterfly can act as an illustration for how the Black Baltimore accent has been able to um, just evolve as something that is unique. So again, if we think about a community that is in close proximity and relative isolation, then there's little outside influence to impact the development or evolution of their accent. It is a reflection of um, America's history, and but it's created something that is linguistically unique and what I believe is quite beautiful. Meanwhile, the blue-collar, white Baltimore accent has become something of a pop culture icon, imitated with varying degrees of fidelity on TV and movies by way of gleefully torturing the sound of a certain round vowel. We're going over to Baltimore. That O, that very fronted O, O. You hear that every time you go to an O's game, right, where during the, the national anthem, that gets popularized. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about language in Baltimore is almost like the Canadian A or in the Upper Peninsula of, of Michigan where they talk about youpers or in the South where there's the word y'all. In Baltimore, people widely recognize that O, that fronted O, as being a marker of speech. A marker that goes hand in hand with the city's celebrated Hun culture, where locals dress up in leopard print outfits and sunglasses and beehive hairdos to revel in a sort of quasi-fictional Baltimore of yesteryear. John Waters put the Hun, the Baltimore Hun, on the map. That'll be $3, Hun. That's pretty pricey for a pair of petty pants. Well, I'm sorry, Prudy, but some of your personal stains require pounding with a rock. <laughs> so Hairspray presented an image of Baltimore that was unlike anything had, that had been presented up to that point. Uh, what also comes to mind when people think of Baltimore are the television shows that rarely highlight the culture of the city and its people, but do more to highlight the residual impacts of redlining, the crack and opioid epidemics, and violence. So when it comes to language, for most non-Black people, the Baltimore Hun or the Baltimore Hun is a fun and lighthearted entry point into the city. And so that's getting popularized. And then every time it gets reinforced at something like an O's game, it kind of what linguists would call enregisters it a little bit more. It sort of fixes it more in the consciousness as being a marker of Baltimore speech. So that's one of the ways in which language and identity go hand in hand and, and culture and community as well. So if you're reinforcing our attention, being paid to certain things that make us linguistically distinctive, then it furthers the linguistic distinctiveness as well. 
After the break, we'll talk about how and when we first develop our accents. We'll look at how the Baltimore accent might change in the future. And we'll see if our two trusty test subjects can say what is perhaps the most difficult sentence for a Baltimorean to pronounce. Aaron earned an iron urn. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Maryland Curiosity Bureau. (laughs) More in a moment. Ambulance. Ambulance. Italy. Italy. On. On. Mer. Mer. Hulk. Hulk. I drank water on Tuesday. I drank water on Tuesday. The Incredible Hulk looked in the mirror. The Incredible Hulk looked in the mirror. The ambulance went to Italy. The ambulance went to Italy. <laughs> I don't know why Italy is on there, but oh, because white white folks say crazy. Italy. They say Italy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron earned an iron urn. Aaron earned an iron. <laughs> Aaron earned an <laughs> Let me try that one again. Aaron earned an iron urn. <laughs> Aaron earned an iron urn. Wow. You know, different accents have, like, different feels to them, different reputations. Like, what what, what, do, what do you think the reputation is of the Baltimore accent? I don't know. I think it's a little lazy, a little laid back sometimes. Like, yeah, a little chill, laid back. Do you think it's a beautiful accent? No. <laughs> no. It doesn't show any signs of intelligence or nothing. You know, your accent is like part of your identity. It's part of who you are just as much as whatever you look like. Are you proud of your accent? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, growing up, family, my whole life has been talking like this. We got, we got some identity. I like it. Well, it turns out whatever your accent is and whatever you think of it, it's been with you for about as long as you can remember. But you didn't learn it from your parents. Here's Professor Christine Mallinson again. Linguists like to talk about the fact that we learn our language from peers rather than parents. And what that means is, much like me, I grew up in the South, but I had parents who were from the North, and I did not sound like my parents. I sounded like my peers. That's because when we're from about the ages of especially 5 to 10, those early school years, we learn to talk like the kids who are around us. And that's, that's how our accents get crystallized. That's how our vowels get formed, our intonation patterns. That's also where we feel comfortable linguistically. It's funny because I hear it, I hear it now in a way that I've never heard it before because I've traveled so many places. Here's Dee Watkins again. And I've been around so many different types of people that when I'm back home in Baltimore, um, just going, you know, to a place and, um, hearing somebody say something like, ah, oh, no, you know, I stopped drinking alcohol, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, you know, you're like, I'm home, like, I'm home, you know, I can't, I, I can hear it. It's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing according to whom, though? That is a tricky question when it comes to accents. Professor DeShields grew up with a Baltimore accent, but you are unlikely to hear it now. I will share that I was a speech communications major as an undergrad. And I had a professor who, in our speech class, was adamant about all of us, all of the students, limiting the audibility of an accent. And so we would oftentimes practice with uh, being intentional about using an accent or a variation that was unique to our region or our city. And then adopting or employing a more standardized sound. And so what you hear from me now is a reflection of that experience. 
The fact is, discrimination isn't just about skin color. Bias is auditory, too. This could be on a a smaller, though not always less harmful, area of microaggressions. Um, And it can go all the way up to linguistic racism, where people are discriminating against somebody based on how they sound, or might be more subtle, where they just think, gosh, you know, I just don't think they're going to be able to really fit with what I'm going for in this position. They don't quite sound like you know, the the person that I'm looking for for this job. And sometimes that's just a cover for racism or, or sexism. There are a lot of ways in which people will judge other people based on how they sound. And how we sound is changing all the time and bit by bit. Accents aren't static phenomena. And a hundred years from now, the way we talk today is probably going to seem pretty weird. I hope Baltimoreans are able to retain their unique linguistic markers um, because I love it. But we know that language is an ever-evolving aspect of a society. So we can assume that Baltimoreans will sound different 100 years from now. I would imagine that if Frederick Douglass were to somehow um, find find himself in um, Baltimore in 2022, and he were to focus solely on language, we would sound very different (laughs) from the way um, Baltimoreans sounded then. Certain accents fade and, you know, other varieties arise. Um, But I think what we want to emphasize is that the Baltimore accent reflects the diversity of the people who live here. So we will always be able to look to the language as a measure of who are we as a Baltimore community. Well, who we are, among other things, is a city of immigrants, Take Baltimore's Latinx community, for example. The city's Spanish-speaking population has doubled from 4 to 8% in the past decade. And bear with me here as I extrapolate this notion of a Baltimore accent one step further and pose this question. Is there such a thing as a Spanish-language Baltimore accent? Oh, yeah. This is Aida Medina. I'm originally from Colombia, South America. She's been in the U.S. for 22 years now. And in the in Baltimore City for uh, 12 years. When she came to Baltimore, Aida says it took some time to adapt to the kind of Spanish that was being spoken here, where a majority of the Latinx immigrants are from Mexico. She says she managed to embarrass herself without even realizing it, like one time when she was talking with some Baltimore Spanish speakers and she mentioned grocery bags. There was a word for bags, like the grocery bags or paper bags that in Colombia, we it's normal to say talego. Talego is a bag and you can find that in the dictionary and it's not a bad word. But for then it means, I don't know if I can say this here, um, some parts of the, you know, private parts of men. <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine I saying, Talego, <laughs> what in their minds, they just instantly, what came to their minds. <laughs> so I completely eliminate that word all, uh, in my vocabulary. So even when I go back to Colombia, I don't use it. Let me ask you about those trips home to visit friends and family in Colombia. When you speak Spanish with them down there, do they hear you and think that you have a Baltimore accent? Yes. I should say more like a Mexican accent. (laughs) Because when I came to Baltimore, all my friends and the families around us, my family were Mexican. 
So you don't perceive that and you don't see it. But when we went back to Colombia after two or three years to be just surrounded by our beloved Mexican families, uh, and we were just, uh, we entered to stores or something and they were asking us, where are you from? And it was, what? What are people in my country asking me, where are you from? So why? What do you think where I am from? And they said, you are from Mexico? No, <laughs> I'm from Colombia. So you moved from Colombia to Baltimore. And when you came back home to Colombia, people thought you were from Mexico. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. It is. Aida, I've asked this question to all of my other Baltimore locals on this episode. And I want to ask you too, are you proud of your Baltimore accent? I love it. I'm happy to be here. I love when I go back to Colombia and they think that I'm Mexican. Sometimes we don't want to be put in the same box all together from Latin America and don't like that everybody assume that we all are Mexican. But going back to Colombia and for people to think that I'm Mexican, I just love it because that was a way to feel, oh, wow, it means that I really have encountered other cultures and I really get into them, you know, and I, I am part of them in my daily life, you know, so yeah, I love it. Aida Medina, Director of Cross-Cultural Competency at Gallery Church, Patterson Park. I'm going to throw it back over to Professor Mallinson for a final thoughts, and then we'll hook back up with our listener, Dan, who asked the question that inspired this week's episode. We all need to celebrate the ways in which we sound differently. Wouldn't it be a boring world if we all sounded exactly the same? Language is who we are. It's part of identity and culture. And we all, of course, there, there are ways in which we all need to be able to understand each other, but we need to also be able to maintain who we are. All right, Dan Soiki, you asked this week's question about the origins and the character of the Baltimore accent. This story has taken us down some fascinating rabbit holes. What are you left thinking here at the end of the episode? I, I think I'm more surprised about how the city influences our accent as much as we influence the accent of the city so it's kind of like a circular thing that i don't think i really recognized and i don't think i fully appreciated before you know you mentioned at the top of the episode that um you're from northeast baltimore but you have a buried accent because uh you you know your folks kind of drilled that into you but we also heard that you learn accents from your peers. I mean, I guess it's in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I will admit there have been times where I've made judgments based on the strength of someone's Baltimore accent, regardless of who it is. So I've heard people talk and I'm like, yep, they're from Highland Town. Yep, they're from Brooklyn. They're from Cherry Hill. You know, I can slide it in and out when I need to. But it's even even the little sections of the city have their own accents. And it's fascinating to me how that came to be. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. Got a question of your own? You can put me to work at wypr.org slash curiosity. Great stories start with great questions, and where we go next is entirely up to you. And uh, hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. 
Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch, and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.